Chapter Five of Tarzan of the Apes. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Five: The White Ape. Tenderly Kayla nursed her little waif, wondering silently why it did not gain strength and agility as did the little apes of other mothers. It was nearly a year from the time the little fellow came into her possession before he would walk alone, and as for climbing, my, but how stupid he was! Kayla sometimes talked with the older females about her young hopeful, but none of them could understand how a child could be so slow and backward in learning to care for itself. Why, it could not even find food alone, and more than twelve moons had passed since Kayla had come upon it. Had they known that the child had seen thirteen moons before it had come into Kayla's possession, they would have considered its case as absolutely hopeless, for the little apes of their own tribe were as far advanced in two or three moons as was this little stranger after twenty-five. Tublat, Kayla's husband, was sorely vexed and but for the female's careful watching would have put the child out of the way. "'He will never be a great ape,' he argued. "'Always will you have to carry him and protect him. What good will he be to the tribe? None, only a burden. Let us leave him quietly sleeping among the tall grasses, that you may bear other and stronger apes to guard us in our old age.' "'Never, broken nose,' replied Kayla. If I must carry him forever, so be it. And then Tublat went to Kerchak to urge him to use his authority with Kayla, and force her to give up little Tarzan, which was the name they had given to the tiny Lord Greystoke, and which meant white skin. But when Kerchak spoke to her about it, Kayla threatened to run away from the tribe if they did not leave her in peace with the child. And as this is one of the inalienable rights of the jungle folk, if they be dissatisfied among their own people, they bothered her no more, for Kayla was a fine, clean-limbed young female, and they did not wish to lose her. As Tarzan grew he made more rapid strides, so that by the time he was ten years old he was an excellent climber, and on the ground could do many wonderful things which were beyond the powers of his little brothers and sisters. In many ways did he differ from them and they often marveled at his superior cunning, but in strength and size he was deficient, for at ten the great anthropoids were fully grown, some of them towering over six feet in height, while little Tarzan was still but a half-grown boy. Yet such a boy! From early childhood he had used his hands to swing from branch to branch after the manner of his giant mother and as he grew older he spent hour upon hour daily speeding through the treetops with his brothers and sisters. He could spring twenty feet across space at the dizzy heights of the forest top, and grasp with unerring precision and without apparent jar a limb waving wildly in the path of an approaching tornado. He could drop twenty feet at a stretch from limb to limb in rapid descent to the ground, or he could gain the utmost pinnacle of the loftiest tropical giant with the ease and swiftness of a squirrel. 
Though but ten years old he was fully as strong as the average man of thirty, and far more agile than the most practiced athlete ever becomes, and day by day his strength was increasing. His life among these fierce apes had been happy, for his recollection held no other life, nor did he know that there existed within the universe aught else than his little forest and the wild jungle animals with which he was familiar. He was nearly ten before he commenced to realize that a great difference existed between himself and his fellows. His little body, burned brown by exposure, suddenly caused him feelings of intense shame, for he realized that it was entirely hairless, like some low snake or other reptile. He attempted to obviate this by plastering himself from head to foot with mud, but this dried and fell off. Besides, it felt so uncomfortable that he quickly decided that he preferred the shame to the discomfort. In the higher land which his tribe frequented was a little lake, and it was here that Tarzan first saw his face in the clear, still waters of its bosom. It was on a sultry day of the dry season that he and one of his cousins had gone down to the bank to drink. As they leaned over, both little faces were mirrored on the placid pool, the fierce and terrible features of the ape beside those of the aristocratic scion of an old English house. Tarzan was appalled. It had been bad enough to be hairless, but to own such a countenance. He wondered that the other apes could look at him at all. That tiny slit of a mouth and those puny white teeth, how they looked beside the mighty lips and powerful fangs of his more fortunate brothers! and the little pinched nose of his, so thin was it that it looked half-starved. He turned red as he compared it with the beautiful broad nostrils of his companion. Such a generous nose! Why, it spread half across his face! It certainly must be fine to be so handsome, thought poor little Tarzan. But when he saw his own eyes, ah, that was the final blow! A brown spot, a gray circle, and then blank whiteness. Frightful! Not even the snakes had such hideous eyes as he. So intent was he upon this personal appraisement of his features that he did not hear the parting of the tall grass behind him as a great body pushed itself stealthily through the jungle. Nor did his companion, the ape, hear either, for he was drinking and the noise of his sucking lips and gurgles of satisfaction drowned the quiet approach of the intruder. Not thirty paces behind the two she crouched, Sabor, the huge lioness, lashing her tail. Cautiously she moved a great padded paw forward, noiselessly placing it before she lifted the next. Then she advanced, her belly low, almost touching the surface of the ground, a great cat preparing to spring upon its prey. Now she was within ten feet of the two unsuspecting little playfellows. Carefully she drew her hind feet well up beneath her body, the great muscles rolling under the beautiful skin. So low she was crouching now that she seemed flattened to the earth, except for the upward bend of the glossy back as it gathered for the spring. No longer the tail lashed, quiet and straight behind her it lay. An instant she paused thus, as though turned to stone, and then, 
With an awful scream, she sprang. Sabor the lioness was a wise hunter. To one less wise, the wild alarm of her fierce cry as she sprang would have seemed a foolish thing, for could she not more surely have fallen upon her victims had she but quietly leaped without that loud shriek? But Sabor knew well the wondrous quickness of the jungle folk and their almost unbelievable powers of hearing. To them the sudden scraping of one blade of grass across another was as effectual a warning as her loudest cry, and Sabor knew that she could not make that mighty leap without a little noise. Her wild scream was not a warning. It was voiced to freeze her poor victims in a paralysis of terror for the tiny fraction of an instant which would suffice for her mighty claws to sink into their soft flesh and hold them beyond hope of escape. So far as the ape was concerned, Sabor reasoned correctly. The little fellow crouched trembling just an instant, but that instant was quite long enough to prove his undoing. Not so, however, with Tarzan, the man-child. His life amidst the dangers of the jungle had taught him to meet emergencies with self-confidence, and his higher intelligence resulted in a quickness of mental action far beyond the powers of the apes. So the scream of Sabor, the lioness, galvanized the brain and muscles of little Tarzan into instant action. Before him lay the deep waters of the little lake, behind him certain death, a cruel death beneath tearing claws and rending fangs. Tarzan had always hated water, except as a medium for quenching his thirst. He hated it because he connected it with the chill and discomfort of the torrential rains, and he feared it for the thunder and lightning and wind which accompanied them. The deep waters of the lake he had been taught by his wild mother to avoid, and further, had he not seen little Nita sink beneath its quiet surface only a few short weeks before, never to return to the tribe? But of the two evils, his quick mind chose the lesser ere the first note of Sabor's screen had scarce broken the quiet of the jungle and before the great beast had covered half her leap, Tarzan felt the chill waters close above his head. He could not swim, and the water was very deep, but still he lost no particle of that self-confidence and resourcefulness which were the badges of his superior being. Rapidly he moved his hands and feet in an attempt to scramble upward, and possibly more by chance than design, he fell into the stroke that a dog uses when swimming so that within a few seconds his nose was above water and he found that he could keep it there by continuing his strokes, and also make progress through the water. He was much surprised and pleased with this new acquirement which had been so th suddenly thrust upon him, but he had no time for thinking much upon it. He was now swimming parallel to the bank, and there he saw the cruel beast that would have seized him, crouching upon the still form of his little playmate. The lioness was intently watching Tarzan, evidently expecting him to return to shore, but this the boy had no intention of doing. Instead he raised his voice in the call of distress common to his tribe, adding to it the warning which would prevent would-be rescuers from running into the clutches of Sabor. Almost immediately there came an answer from the distance and presently forty or fifty great apes swung rapidly and majestically through the trees toward the scene of tragedy. 
In the lead was Kayla, for she had recognized the tones of her best beloved, and with her was the mother of the little ape who lay dead beneath cruel Sabor. Though more powerful and better equipped for fighting than the apes, the lioness had no desire to meet these enraged adults, and with a snarl of hatred she sprang quickly into the brush and disappeared. Tarzan now swam to shore and clambered quickly upon dry land. The feeling of freshness and exhilaration which the cool waters had imparted to him filled his little being with grateful surprise, and ever after he lost no opportunity to take a daily plunge in lake or stream or ocean when it was possible to do so. For a long time Kayla could not accustom herself to the sight, for though her people could swim when forced to it, they did not like to enter water, and never did so voluntarily. The adventure with the lioness gave Tarzan food for pleasurable memories, for it was such affairs which broke the monotony of his daily life, otherwise but a dull round of searching for food, eating, and sleeping. The tribe to which he belonged roamed a tract extending roughly twenty-five miles along the sea coast and some fifty miles inland. This they traversed almost continually, occasionally remaining for months in one locality, but as they moved through the trees with great speed they often covered the territory in a very few days. Much depended upon food supply, climatic conditions, and the prevalence of animals of the more dangerous species, though Kerchak often led them on long marches for no other reason than that he had tired of remaining in the same place. At night they slept where darkness overtook them, lying upon the ground, and sometimes covering their heads, and more seldom their bodies, with the great leaves of the elephant's ear. Two or three might lie cuddled in each other's arms for additional warmth if the night were chill and thus Tarzan had slept in Kayla's arms nightly for all these years. That the huge, fierce brute loved this child of another race is beyond question, and he too gave to the great hairy beast all the affection that would have belonged to his fair young mother had she lived. When he was disobedient she cuffed him, it is true, but she was never cruel to him, and was more often caressing him than chastising him. Tublat, her mate, always hated Tarzan, and on several occasions had come near ending his youthful career. Tarzan, on his part, never lost an opportunity to show that he fully reciprocated his foster-father's sentiments, and whenever he could safely annoy him, or make faces at him, or hurl insults upon him from the safety of his mother's arms, or the slender branches of the higher trees, he did so his superior intelligence and cunning permitted him to invent a thousand diabolical tricks to add to the burdens of Tublat's life. Early in his boyhood he had learned to form ropes by twisting and tying long grasses together, and with these he was forever tripping Tublat or attempting to hang him from some overhanging branch. By constant playing and experimenting with these he learned to tie rude knots, and make sliding nooses, and with these he and the younger apes amused themselves. What Tarzan did they tried to do also, but he alone originated and became proficient. One day while playing thus, 
Tarzan had thrown his rope at one of his fleeing companions, retaining the other end in his grasp. By accident the noose fell squarely about the running ape's neck, bringing him to a sudden and surprising halt. Ah, here was a new game, a fine game, thought Tarzan, and immediately he attempted to repeat the trick. And thus, by painstaking and continued practice, he learned the art of roping. Now indeed was the life of Tublat a living nightmare. In sleep, upon the march, night or day, he never knew when that quiet noose would slip about his neck and nearly choke the life out of him. Caleb punished, Tublat swore dire vengeance, and old Kerchak took notice and warned and threatened, but all to no avail. Tarzan defied them all and the thin, strong noose continued to settle about Tublat's neck whenever he least expected it. The other apes derived unlimited amusement from Tublat's discomfiture, for Broken Nose was a disagreeable old fellow, whom no one liked anyway. In Tarzan's clever little mind many thoughts revolved, and back of these was his divine power of reason. If he could catch his fellow apes with his long arm of many grasses, why not Sabor, the lioness? It was the germ of a thought, which, however, was destined to mull around in his conscious and subconscious mind until it resulted in magnificent achievement. But that came in later years. End of chapter.